test, uh, there's, uh, there's a little bit of an extra skip and step in the, the strides of uh, uh, the Madden household this morning. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, I thought I should fill you in that um, deliverance came to the city of Manchester this week. Uh, it, it, in, in particular, the, the football club of Manchester United, okay, and it was in the form of a, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. It's in the form of a curly, white-haired Scandinavian, and I'm not talking about Santa Claus this morning, so if you want to know who that is, go and have a chat with Glenn afterwards. Now, my team growing up is Cardiff City. My dad and I used to go to all of the games, and all of the home games, and we were unlucky enough to be facing Manchester United yesterday under this new regime, dispensation of leadership, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it was pretty ugly. That's all I can say. We got hammered, and that was putting it rather lightly. So uh, Glenn sent me a text yesterday. It was two words, sorry, bro. <laughs> so thanks for not wearing your Manchester United uh, clobber this morning, guys. I really do appreciate that. Well, it's two days to Christmas now, two days to Christmas. Have all of you done your Christmas shopping yet? Have you finished? No, we got some head shakers down. Brad, you haven't? Okay. Almost, almost there, almost there. Okay, guys, fear not. Two days left. If you're looking for that something special for someone special, Apparently, Princess Auto is open till very late tonight, so I thought I'd just put that on there. So, anyway, growing up in Wales, there are two things in abundance, rain and sheep, okay? And, uh, now, I work in building construction, and in the middle of the 1990s, just before my family and I emigrated, I w- there was a, a bit of a recession in the construction industry, and the company I worked for, they assigned me to this uh, big contracting firm from the north of England called Allen Fox Construction. I don't know if you've heard of them, Barry, but anyway, they build these big macro superstores. They're like Costco, uh, big warehouses. And I was assigned to be the site quantity surveyor for this project, and it was in the Enterprise Zone in Swansea, which is sort of west of, of Cardiff, where I grew up. And uh, first day of the job, we were going to meet the director of Alan Fox. He was coming down all the way from Wigan. That was the hometown. Accent I can't do. You've got to think Maxine and Pete Lees right now, okay, if you want a, a sample of this guy's accent. But anyway, he was traveling down from Wigan, and he would have had to have traveled all the way down through the center of Wales. And he arrived at the meeting. He was late, and we're all sat around. And he walks in with his briefcase. He didn't say hello. He didn't say anything like that at all. He put it down on the brief, briefcase down. He said, I've never seen so many sheep in all my life. And uh, the English, they like to tease the Welsh about this and make jokes about this. But uh, I think for the sake of time, we'll just move on. Um, and they're right to tease us a little bit because anybody want to hazard a guess how many sheep there are in Wales? 10 million, Brad. 10 million. There's a population of 3 million people, and uh, there's 10 million sheep. Now, I wish Johnny was here this morning. We've got some interesting sheep facts here if you want to put up the... There they are. This guy on the left, he laughs at all my jokes. I like him. Um, I wish Johnny was here this morning. He's from New Zealand. There are 34.2 million sheep in New Zealand. That is absolutely crazy. Estimated population of sheep in the whole world, about 1 billion. 
Sheep have 300 degrees of vision so that they can see you sneaking up behind them to catch them. Now, this is really interesting. In 2009, an eight-month-old Scottish ram was sold for 231,000 great British pounds. That's about 400,000 Canadian dollars. Now, a sheep farmer from Scotland apparently purchased this ram for breeding. And on the basis that it was a Scottish person who purchased this lamb for such an extraordinary price, you've got to think that the actual true value of that sheep was probably about double that amount. So, I'm sorry, Sarah, even when Glenn's not up here, you get teased. I, I, sheep can produce up to 30 pounds of wool. They are just absolutely amazing creatures, and I just wanted to use that as a little of backdrop this morning as we come to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 8 to 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. The words will be up on the screen behind us. This is a famous, well-known Christmas passage that we come to often at this time of the year. Starting in verse 8, it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Have you ever thought why Luke chapter 2 verse 8 doesn't start something like this? And there were in that region scribes and Pharisees watching over their scrolls by night, You see, God chose to reveal the birth of his Savior to very simple, humble shepherds who were going about their job. Why shepherds? Strange, isn't it? And when you consider the role and life of a shepherd in that time in Jewish culture, it's even more strange. Why would God choose these men to be the first to know about the birth of his son, the Savior? When we think of a shepherd, we often think of that classic children's nativity scene, don't we? Some child has been dressed in their father's robe, and they've they've taken the belt that normally goes around the waist, and they've used it to fasten like a dishcloth or tea towel to the the kid's head. And that's what we often think of, don't we, when we think of a a shepherd, a classic nativity scene. But being a shepherd in the ancient world, it wasn't a great job. If you were a shepherd, you got to live your whole life 
in the outdoors. That's what Luke chapter 2 verse 8 tells us. I don't know about you, but when I used to go camping with my boys when they were young, it was fun for a weekend, right? Um, But can you imagine living your whole life in the outdoors? Albert Edersheim is a, a Jewish historical writer, and he lived about 150 years ago. If you get a chance to read any of his stuff, it's really, really good. He wrote a book called Sketches of Jewish Social Life, and he points out some really interesting things about shepherds at this time. One thing we need to know about these men is that they were completely responsible for the animals, and they were required to pay back any losses that happened with the animals that were under their care. Now, this would add significant weight to the story, the parable that Jesus told about the the, the shepherd who left the 99 sheep and went and looked for that one missing sheep. And because of this, they would never leave the sheep alone. Because they never left the sheep alone, they were constantly ceremonially ceremonially, uh, unclean. They were unclean. This meant that they could not make it to the temple for the sacrifices or be part of the feasts and festivals that the nation would enjoy. And so they weren't able to maintain religious devotion like the rest of God's people. In our day, it would be a little like someone showing up to our church and not being allowed in or not being felt welcome. How awful that would be. Shepherds, they were tough and fearless. They had a reputation for being thieves and crooks. They had no social standing, and they were not permitted to testify in court. They were not considered credible witnesses. They were the low of the lows, and their occupation forced them to live in complete isolation. No women around. Imagine that. Just a a group of filthy, smelly guys hanging out together, in the countryside. You know, I'm sure no kid growing up when he was asked what he wanted to be when he was older would pick a shepherd. You know, it was a job you ended up with, not a job you chose. These men were isolated and rejected. They were rejected from society. They were outcasts. They were rejected from their towns and their homes. They were considered unclean. And they were rejected from the corporate worship of God's people. And so most of us here this morning can't for one minute, I'm sure, identify with what it was like to be a shepherd. But I'm sure all of us here this morning can identify with what it is like to feel rejected. Think about it for a minute. All of us at some point in our lives have felt rejection, haven't we? Guys, maybe it was that first date you asked out and she said no. Maybe it was even worse. Maybe she went, (laughs) no. Okay, like, you think, you know. I was speaking to Laura about this, and she pointed out to me that she was the one who was normally doing the rejecting in that scenario. But uh, there we are. I'm glad you chose me, honey. That's all I can say. Maybe it was a, a group of school friends that rejected you because of something. Maybe you've had job rejection. Maybe you've been overlooked in a promotion. Maybe you've wanted something and you've been passed over and it went to somebody else. Maybe it's family rejection. Maybe it's a lifestyle you have. Maybe it's decisions that you have made. But all of us at some point in our life know what it's like to feel rejection. And so when the angel shows up, that would have been surprising in itself because no one ever showed up 
to hang out with the shepherds. And when the angel proclaimed to them the good news had come, they would have been the last people in the town to expect to have received this good news. So what were these men doing on the hillside? Well, it's a little obvious in as much as they were looking after the sheep. However, biblical scholars and commentators believe that the sheep that these shepherds were tending were likely being prepared to be slaughtered at the Passover that would occur in Jerusalem a number of months later in the calendar year. You can read all about the Passover in Exodus chapter 11 and and 12, but basically the, the Jewish people would celebrate Passover every, every year. It was the first of seven feasts that the people would celebrate, and they would come together annually to celebrate these feasts. Families would gather, and they would prepare a roast lamb meal. And as they ate this meal and celebrated the feast, they would remember how God miraculously delivered them from captivity and slavery in Egypt. The Bible tells us that the, uh, the, the God's people, the children of Israel, they were being held captive in Egypt, and they were there 400 years. And through a series of plagues and judgments that God sent, God started to warn Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. But, God, but Pharaoh, it says, it, he hardened his heart, and he wouldn't let the people go. And so there was going to be a last terrible plague, a plague of death, that was going to come. And the, the people were to take a lamb. This was the Passover. It had to be a, a one-year-old male lamb. It had to be without spot, spot or blemish, a clean lamb. And they were to bring it into their homes, and they were to keep it for four days. And then after four days, they would slaughter this animal. They would prepare the meat, and they would take some of the blood, and they would apply it to the doorposts and the lintel of their house. And when the angel of death came, death would not go into that house. When the angel of death came and it was striking this house and that house, when it came to the house where the blood had been applied, the angel would not go in because death had already been there. This innocent little lamb had been killed to deliver the people. And so each year the nation would celebrate the feast of Passover And the lambs would be kept, probably at Bethlehem on the hillside, and they would be brought to the city through the Sheep Gate, past the Pool of Bethesda, and into the temple area where they would be taken by the priests and used as the sacrificial lambs, as the people remembered how God had delivered them. And so it's so rich in symbolism, isn't it? It's so rich that God would send his angel, and they would show up to these men on the hillside, and proclaim the news that a greater lamb had come, a savior who is Christ the Lord. It's so symbolic that they would be invited to view the lamb of God. You might remember when Jesus was growing up, John the Baptist was standing by the the river Jordan, and as he saw Jesus approaching him, he said these words, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what John the Baptist was saying in that burst of praise as he saw Jesus approach was the Savior is here. The one who would come and fulfill all that was promised in the Old Testament has come. God's Lamb, the one who takes away the sin of the world, is here. Hope for this poor world. 
And so the angel comes in Luke chapter 2 and declares to these simple, humble, rejected men, the angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So who is this baby who the shepherds would find in such a strange setting? The angel tells us today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Now, Messiah in the Hebrew is a word which is translated into the Greek, Christ, and it simply means the anointed one. And so the shepherds go to Bethlehem and they find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, just as the angel told them. Now, the fact that this baby was fully human would be so obvious to those shepherds. His mother had just given birth to him. But the angel said that the, the human baby was also a savior who is Messiah, Christ the Lord. And the word Lord in this passage is a Greek word, kurios, and it means supreme in authority. It's tantamount to Jehovah God. It's the same word in, used in chapter 2, verse 9, where it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. It's the same word that we heard Sid preach on two weeks ago from chapter 2, verse 23, in reference to the, the law of the Lord. When you remember Jesus' parents, in obedience to the law, took Jesus into the temple to be dedicated and it's the same word used in chapter 1, verse 6, in reference to John the Baptist's parents. And it says there, they observed all of the Lord's commands. And it's also the same word used in John chapter 20, verse 28, when doubting Thomas saw the risen Lord Jesus, and Jesus invited him to come and view his pierced hands, and to view the hole in his side. And Thomas responded and said, my Lord and my God. It's the same word. And so Luke, who under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was writing this book, was in no doubt as he used that word that the baby in the manger of Bethlehem is none other than God in human flesh. The carol hark the herald angels sing that we sing so often this time of year, it's, it puts it like this. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Nothing could be more simple, yet so profound. God brings salvation to us by taking on the form of human flesh himself. That's what Philippians tells us in chapter 2. It says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taken on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
I don't know about you, but when viewing the nativity scene, we tend to gloss over this, don't we? It tends to be so sterile, I guess, as we look at it in a a Christmas card or in a picture, but we just tend to gloss over this. But this, this was no ordinary baby. This was not just a baby. This was God incarnate. And for the last 2,000 years, many have tried to deny his deity. Some claim he was just a good teacher, a good man. Some say he never claimed to be God, but he did, and he was. And that's exactly who this baby is. Why was he there? What's going on? We have shepherds, humble and rejected on a hillside. We have a humble stable. We have a manger, a rejected scene because there was no room for his parents at the inn. And we have a baby who is a king who will be rejected by his people. Just consider this for a minute. As humans, we only risk possible rejection because there's a glimmer of hope for acceptance, isn't there? When you put in an application for a job, you do it because you hope that your set of qualifications and the other things that you put on there will make that person select you rather than somebody else. In my business, I have to write a lot of proposals for work and put a fee there, and I hope that the combination of my experience and the jobs that I've done and the fee that I'm quoting will end up with me getting the job that I'm going after. But I only do that because there's a glimmer of hope of acceptance. But if you ever stop to consider that Jesus came knowing that he would be completely rejected. He would be the king who would be rejected. John 1.11 tells us he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In the Old Testament, in that beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 53, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He came knowing that his own people will not receive him. He came knowing that he would be rejected by one of his disciples, a close friend for a sum of money. He came knowing that on that night in the garden that his disciples would abandon him when the soldiers showed up to arrest him. He came knowing that the people would select a religious activist called Barabbas instead of him. He came knowing that the religious leaders of the day would shout, away with this man, crucify him, crucify him. And he knew that in his darkest hour, as he was on the cross, bearing the sin and the punishment that we deserve, that his father would have to look away for a period of time. And that's when he cried, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And so God's sinless substitute is God's sinless substitute. He bore our sin to satisfy the righteous requirements of God. And so that God may be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, God is just. He requires full payment. 
But we are also reminded that it was Jesus' death and resurrection that pays that price for us. So why did he come knowing that he would be rejected? He came so that we can be accepted. You see, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be righteous. Sorry, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This message and the Christmas message requires a very simple response. The shepherds that night could have listened to that message and said, well, thank you, that's very, very interesting, and sat back down around their fire and had a a theological debate about what had happened, or they could have simply said, thanks for letting us know, but we're good Jews, and we knew that Jesus would be coming from the town of David. David. But the shepherds, they had a simple choice that day, and they, sh- they chose to believe. They chose to believe the message, and they came and worshipped the baby in a manger, the Savior, Christ the Lord. Look at the passage once more, verse 16. It says, so they hurried off, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When God reveals the Lord Jesus Christ to your your soul, it requires a response. You must take him at his word personally and believe the revelation which God has given concerning his son. You see, the shepherds believed that day and they left their flocks of sheep and they went down to the stable and they worshipped Jesus and their lives were changed as a result of that. They went away, and they couldn't stop talking about what they had seen and heard. That's what the passage tells us. And so today, the same invitation is set out to us. The Lord Jesus Christ presents to us a very simple gift, a gift of salvation to all those who will believe. And it requires a choice. We can either accept that gift, or we can reject it. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 puts it like this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so come to Jesus, the Savior, Christ the Lord, and accept this gift of salvation which he offers. In the same way that the Jews, when they escaped the angel of death in Egypt, looked away to the Lamb for forgiveness, so in the same way we look to the Lamb of God who hung on a tree for us. And by a simple act of faith, we bow the knee and we acknowledge who he is. He is the Savior the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lord God. And we simply recognize that he is our substitute. 
that he paid the penalty for our sin, that he bore my sin on his body on that cross. And as a result of it, I can be forgiven. And God will give you this free gift of salvation. It's a gift of acceptance, of forgiveness, of peace with God, hope and assurance that we are forgiven and that our eternity is secure with him. Because one day we will spend all eternity with him, not in in the presence of Jesus, the baby, but the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You come and bow the knee, acknowledge who he is, and worship him. Make him Lord of your life. You will be changed. I promise you that. It's been so neat to hear the testimonies from this church that uh, Wendy Delcourt has been organizing over the weeks. And it's interesting. Everybody who comes to Jesus never leaves the same, right? He changes us just like he did those shepherds that day. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us assurance, hope, a purpose, peace. What a gift. Jesus, our Savior. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team if they could come back up. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to be our Savior. We thank you that your, your message of grace is for ordinary people like the shepherds on the hill of Bethlehem and like us who simply gather here this morning to worship you. We thank you that it's so simple that it's, it's a message about you who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And so we thank you for this Christmas season, Lord. We thank you for this time to just not only enjoy the good things that you give us, but to reflect on that actual manger scene and the people who came to worship you. We thank you for salvation, for the great hope that we have. And so, Father, we just pray that this Christmas season we might see something of not Jesus the baby, but the risen Lord Jesus Christ who is enthroned in heaven, who is worthy of our worship and our praise. Hallelujah, what a Savior, Jesus who came. Amen.